It's Robert Gowan with my sidekick, Paul, Paul Martinez. Martinez. We're What's at 5th uh, Rangers Training Battalion up in Dahlonega, Georgia, Camp Merrill. And these guys have been tremendous hosts. Um, really had an awesome day this morning. And uh, some of the stuff we did, we'll probably uh, end up bouncing around that. But we have a guest, Dan Ryan. First Sergeant Dan Ryan, appreciate you coming on the show. Uh, thanks for having me. Um, I didn't think we asked you where you're from. Uh, we kind of talked about it a little bit. We didn't get to the point. So where's home? So I was born in Houston, Texas, but we we moved early, so I can't like rightfully claim it. Okay. Um, I don't remember it at all, but I'm from Buffalo, New York. Um, I was raised there. I uh, met my wife there. Um, it's where all my extended family's at. So from Buffalo, New York. Yeah. Okay. Well, go, I understand. Well, I got to tell everyone real quick. Go Bills. <laughs> yeah. So what was the uh, what was the reason from the Houston to Buffalo? Because that's a big hop. Uh, my parents were hopping around looking for work. Okay. Um, they were having a good time in Texas. Uh, too much of a good time to raise kids. They had you. <laughs> yeah, to raise kids in that atmosphere. <laughs> And uh, their extended family was up in Buffalo, so okay. we we moved closer to family values and away from the party life. Yeah, <laughs> I know, no doubt. That's yeah. how you make kids, right? You yeah, party and then you know, straighten up, yeah. raise those little suckers. No prior military service uh, in the family, or were uh, there? My dad was in the Navy. He did a short uh, short stint. Um, I don't even. He doesn't really talk about it at all. Uh, but he did probably like two to three years, as far as I know. Okay. I don't know what he did. Um, then I have, you know, great grandfathers and great uncles and stuff that served. Um, but there was really no military influence in the family at all. No. Okay. Yeah. So what made you want to go then? I'm right after high school, you just like had enough of Buffalo. Or? So, so watching the commercials and uh, I initially wanted to be a Marine. I saw the Marine, uh, rock climbing up this rock looked like somewhere in arizona or something like that gets to the top he goes from being this dirty messy looking you know rip dude to you know being in his his uh what did the marines wear the they, blues the blues, yeah, blues. blues has his sword you know the few the proud and i was like oh man i want to be one of those guys yeah. um <laughs> and then and then yeah, i marketing i, I tried college for a very short period of time and, and you know bless my mom's heart but she was she was paying for it you know and i just i did not have the discipline for it um not like i do now but i just i did one semester and i i told her you know i can't waste your money i'm wasting your money <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> you know? and she gave me an ultimatum she said you know you don't have to go to college but you know you got to do something you got to get out you got to you know grow up and uh you know, I was like, I have a plan. They're going to give me a water bottle as soon as I sign the dotted line. And water bottle. <laughs> yeah. awesome. I already talked to a guy. I know a guy. <laughs> that's, two, that's two out of three. You just need to figure out yeah. shelter and food. And yeah. Just. So did you go right into the Marine Corps recruiting station or did you like shop them all? So I was shopping, uh, went to the Army guy, went to the Navy guy. I, I went all over the place. Um, and then I started pulling away from it. As it's starting to get real, I started pulling away from it. Um, but lucky for me, I was in a super toxic relationship with this girl and this was my way out of that. So like, that was like, once it was like the last straw, she did something or I said something and I was like, you know what? I'm out of here. That's it. Like that was all I needed. I'm out. <laughs> run, run, run. Yeah, I went, smart, to, went to a recruiter, looked to see who was going to get me out the fastest. It yeah. was the army guy. Okay. And, uh, you know, I asked, you know, when can I leave? He said, you know, two weeks. I was like, put me on that bus. I want to go. Wow. Did you, did you do, I mean, did you just went infantry or did you get an, an option or anything? Or I was, I mean, I was so, I, I was just not smart to, to the fact that there were different jobs. Mm -hmm. I thought if you were a, uh, a cook, you were peeling potatoes cause you were in trouble, right? If you were, <laughs> if you were an MP is cause you know, you were good on at telling on people, you know, right, right. <laughs> I, I thought everybody was, you know, a soldier, you know, and there, there was no different jobs. So, uh, I did the ASVAB and then the, uh, the recruiter said, you know, he gave me this book of all these different jobs and, he said, you can pick any job you want. And I was like, job, like, what do you mean job? <laughs> you know? And he said, you know, there's EOD. I was like, what's that? And he's like, oh, they just barbecue all the time. Barbecue. <laughs> <Yeah>. That's awesome. <laughs> he's like, they're on the fob barbecuing all the time. 
Uh, I said, what's this? What's that? And started pointing to everything. And I started getting frustrated. And I just said, you know, who has, who has machine guns and rocket launchers and grenades? Who's that? And he's like, oh, you want infantry? And I was like, I want infantry. And then he icing on the cake. He said, I can, you know, you want to jump out of airplanes? I was like, you can give, you can promise me that right now. <laughs> he said, yeah. And I was like, yeah, put me, yeah. Put in the contract. Let's do it. That's so. How did you know about rocket launchers and all of that? I mean, what got you into that? Again, was it the marketing videos or um, it was a lot of marketing videos? It was watching the movies, movies. And, and you know, seeing seeing all that. You know, the cool explosions. I think as a young man, I think I was you know eighteen years old as a young mm. man, already an adrenaline filled, adrenaline loving person. That that you know, that's what I wanted. I just wanted to f- fuel that adrenaline and. and keep pushing the limits, you know, yeah. just like any young man, you know, most young men do. Yeah. No, it makes perfect sense. So you end up going uh, two weeks, you go to OSIT Fort Benning. Yep. Fort, okay. Yeah. I went Fort Benning. Um, I actually had a RASP contract too. Oh, okay. Um, I can go down that road, but uh, I went to, I, everybody has their story where yep. they blame everyone but themselves, but I feel like mine was legitimate. <laughs> I don't think I was to blame for getting kicked out of RASP, but maybe I was. Um, but anyways, I, I went to Fort Benning. I did airborne school. I uh, had a blast at airborne school, and then uh, I went to RASP, and I was standing in formation the one day. It was right after dinner, and... Uh, a cadre member walks by and you know what's that in your mouth and he said it was dip and i said no it's not dip it's you know it's i don't know what it is but it's not dip and uh he asked if i was lying to him i said you know i'm not i'm not lying you know uh i probably should have just swallowed it and just said yep roger it's dip and then maybe the outcome would have been different but regardless was you know i was wrong he was right and i lied about it and from his perspective and I got kicked out. What it was, what I think it was, was uh, we just got done from dinner chow, and I, I specifically remember it like eating beef or something like that, yeah. something that looked yep. like shredded beef or something uh, in my tooth. I don't know what. <laughs> that's that's my best. That's the best rasp story. I've ever heard. <laughs> <laughs> I got food in your teeth and you get kicked out. Yeah, like, like, <laughs> this is a very selective process <laughs> yeah. here. Yeah, dental hygiene is very high mm-hmm. on the list. Yeah, but I mean it. I think everything happens for a reason. I'm a true believer. Um, had I gone down that path, you know, or had I gone down a different path with the Ranger Regiment, you know, maybe I wouldn't have the wife I have, the kids I have, the mm-hmm. things I wouldn't give back for anything, you yeah. know. So yeah. I truly believe things happen for a reason. If that's what I was supposed to do, if I was supposed to go to, you know, the 82nd, which is where I ended up going, get some experience there, then then that was the right answer. Yeah. So I, I have no regrets. A great unit. Mm-hmm. You know, it's great history, great unit. Oh, yeah. Great leadership, all of it. Yeah. School opportunities. I mean, mm-hmm. I think 82nd gets a bad rap sometimes, but they really are. Pretty, well, it, pretty great unit. It's funny because, like, one of the reasons I left was one of the reasons I would love to go back, and that's there was so much Kool Aid being drank everywhere, right? Yeah. Like, if you're not. If you're not airborne, you're, you ain't nothing, right? Yep. If you're not, you know, this is the division. Like, don't call me a soldier. I'm a paratrooper. There's a yep. difference, you know? And yep. and there was a lot of that. And and there was a point in my career, I was very young, and I didn't appreciate esprit de corps. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was just like, man, you guys are you guys are full of it. Like, I need to experience something <laughs> else. You know, you guys are full of it. And then going out, seeing different places in the Army and different, different organizations, different leadership styles it you know and seeing that not seeing esprit de corps like that yeah you know it's one of the reasons i would love to go back you know just people being proud of where they're from is that an opportunity you think is available to you eventually yeah i'm sure it is yeah i've been i've been making sure that my resume supports you know what regardless of of the unit's capabilities that i can go there and and be a leader there in some capacity Excellent. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. awesome. You know, um, one of the things that, you know, comes up for me when I think of 82nd is that um, if there's a way to where the beret 
that might be cool but incorrectly mm-hmm. is the 82nd. Yeah, you can get away with it. I mean, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Do they teach that or is that just uh, you know, everybody just flops it on and you yeah, know, just like tries to hide that eye and, and yeah. point that flash straight at the target. I don't know if that's what it is. <laughs> it, it's so interesting. Uh Rangers are like right behind it. I mean, I think, yeah. you know, Ranger Regiment, there's there's some people I, I don't know if they came from the 82nd and that's what started it, but you always wear yours like the right way, or what's the right way? There's a right way. Well, yeah, there's a uniform. Um, it's the sixth principle patrol and looking cool. Like, that's, <laughs> exactly. It's a part of it. In that case, yes, I wear it the right way. Yeah. No, I did. I did the. I did the. The drape over the eye. Just, mm. It looks cool, man. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, did know. it actually go all the way to the other side of the head, or did you go ahead and let it go to your part, and maybe that's about as far as it went, the, or? The, or to your left eye? No, no, not not the flash, dude. The, the other side part. of it. Yeah, oh, you know, some of them would just let it just let it set on there, yeah. and it would just like be right yeah. right here in the middle of there. You know, <laughs> I, I had two berets, and one was one was sort of like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I just wondered if, if it was taught or not. You know, it just seems to be. Uh, you know, you know, here's pretty the, here's, typical. Here's the thing about the beret. I think and, I think what it is is like you know you have these young kids that are you got to get this high and tight and mm-hmm. and you have to wear your uniform like this and 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 you're it's so you know cookie cutter you all have to look the same right yeah. and then like that beret is that one little piece of I look a little bit different I look how I want to look and yeah. and nobody really says anything about it so. It's a little gray area. Yeah. It allows you some personal mm-hmm. personal freedom. Yeah. I, I personally think it looks pretty cool most of the time, the way they wear it, but people will rag on it. As soon as they see, yeah. you know, I'm talking about on social media, mm-hmm. I know we're getting really down a rabbit hole here, but as soon as yeah. they see uh, photos of guys, you know, not wearing it correctly, they just totally go after them. And it's a terrible piece of headgear. That's you know? that's what I love about the beret is it like so many barrel chested, hardcore mm-hmm. American freedom fighters are arguing over the color of their floppy French hat. It <laughs> doesn't shade their eyes and doesn't keep their head warm. and doesn't like it's yeah. worthless headgear. Yeah. looks yeah. cool. Traps in all the heat. Exactly. You know? It's hot in the summer, <laughs> yeah. cold in the winter. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't do any good at night. doesn't do any good in the day. Crawls under the it's bed when you just, take it off. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, totally. <laughs> <laughs> so um, after 82nd, where'd you end up going? Would you get Jump Master at 82nd? Did you go through their uh, program? or No, actually, uh, here at 5th is where I've, okay. I've kind of like just just upped my uh, all my qualifications. I had a lot of opportunities here. I took as many as I could, but... Um, straight away, as soon as I got here, I had a first sergeant who was, uh, he was my platoon sergeant way back in 10th Mountain. And uh, he asked me what I wanted. I said, I want Jump Master, I want Pathfinder, I want, you know, I want the works, I want to help out. There's, we do Veers Drops here, which is a verbally initiated release system. So it's a guy on the ground who is doing air traffic control for a rotary wing, like a helicopter. Mm-hmm. And, uh, it's not Air Force ran, it's Army ran. So it's the oh. guy on the ground with the certifications, you know, telling where the helicopter, where to fly and when to release the jumpers. And he does a bunch of math and you, you end up learning that the whole world is made out of triangles. And uh, <laughs> you just find the angles and the distances <laughs> really? with Pythagorean theorem and all that. But anyways, uh, uh, it's, it's our most, pro- it's our jump we have that is most important for like airborne proficiency here. It's the most um, common jump we have. It's every single month. We actually have one next week, Friday, if you guys can get out to it. It's okay. A, nice. It's a nice, fun jump. Um, but it's, uh, I, I remember seeing that and it was, it was a guy who was a, you know, was, uh, somebody who's a jump master and a pathfinder. He's current and qualified in both and he's telling the aircraft what to do. And it was a, it was a position that supports the team. And so I was like, I want to be that guy. That's the guy I want to be, you know. And my first arm at the time was like, yep, I'm going to make sure you're that guy. And so went to Jumpmaster real quick. Very shortly thereafter, I went to Pathfinder. And then now I'm on the jump. I'm on the uh, Pathfinder table uh, pretty much every single jump. So I, I enjoy it. I love wow. it. Mm-hmm. That's part of one of the cool things, um, you know, because of Fifth RTB being part of Fort Benning, basically, isn't mm-hmm. it? You know, it's you get all the great schools. Mm-hmm. And I remember being stationed there and I was telling Paul, I mean, it was like heaven, mm-hmm. you know, for me arriving there and, and having all those opportunities laid out in front of you. So 
Otherwise, I don't know if it's a great assignment. Some people say that they hated the place, but it's probably because they went through the training and then got stuck yeah. there like you did. Uh, but, you know, yeah. you didn't get to pick uh, another Ranger battalion. No, nope. 11 Charlie, man. They're just, you're going to 375. And then I cried mm-hmm. <laughs> just a little bit because mm-hmm. I was in front of my whole graduating rip class. <laughs> yeah, I did. I like died a little bit inside. Like this is, this is terrible. My marriage is going to end. I have to stay here. <laughs> and I have to stay, which is, I thought was the worst yeah. fate on earth. Mm-hmm. And after a couple of years, I was like, this place is great. Cause I started going to schools and yeah. you know, I was, mm-hmm. I was 11 Charlie got M lock and mm-hmm. right away I was like, Oh, well, these schools aren't any harder than all the other ones I've been doing. So yeah, it's right down the street. Everything's mm-hmm. right down the street. Yeah. You know? Plus third bat was a good battalion to be in. I think yeah. I, don't, I don't know as much about being in the other battalions, but sort of like being an 82nd, mm-hmm. you know, we're right next to the flagpole. We're in a big base, all the schools. Mm-hmm. It's a good, it's a good opportunity, even though the other battalions rag on us a little bit. Well, I can tell you, I've, I've never was stationed at Fort Benning. I went through there. I, I was always passing through mm-hmm. for this training and that training and, this NCOES and that NCOES. Um, but from the outside looking in, when I go back now, even to this day, when I go back just for the day, I go to Benning and I see these young kids and I, you know, straight out of basic or straight out of airborne. I remember myself. I remember when that was me and I'd see these instructors with all the badges and I'd see them with all the things. And, you know, I want to be that guy. I want to be that guy. And, then I go back now, having gone to a lot of the schools and, and doing a lot of the things and then seeing those same kids and thinking like, man, you have your whole life ahead of you. You have no idea what's coming and it's yeah. going to be great. And you're going to, mm-hmm. you know, you have no idea what's in front of you right now. If you just, if you just drive to Excel towards it, you yeah. know, and, and that's what I, you know, even when I see the young kid, you know, straight out of basic and he's standing in parade rest at at the shop at with his girlfriend you know, you've seen that right oh, yes. like he's just oh, standing yes. there braider. other people will rag on it but yeah. like to me when i see that i'm like that kid is proud of what he just accomplished he just yeah. did basic training he maybe just did airborne whatever it is he's with his girlfriend his wife his family whoever it is and he's standing at parade rest not to be a you know not not to be I, I don't know another word other than a bad word he's standing there because he's proud of everything he just did and yeah. and it when i go back and i see those things like i i don't rag on it i love it you yeah. know maybe i'm just oh that's being a servant leader you understand it you <laughs> yeah. know and understanding the individual so mm-hmm. i think that speaks more volumes about you as a person but yeah, I think that's, um, you know, when you get that opportunity and you get a chance to go back and you get a chance to influence some of those people, because now they see you, First Sergeant Ryan, walking around, mm-hmm. you know, with all your chest and trinkets and everything. And they go, one day, I want to be like that guy. Just mm-hmm. like you were saying about the guys that you yeah. wanted to be like. Yeah. They have now somebody that they want to emulate, and uh, which I think is awesome. Yeah. And that's why, you know, we had one guy on the podcast. Um, it was a while back, but he was in uh, Seven Special Forces Group, and the person that made the biggest impact on him was his drill sergeant. Mm-hmm. So what did he want to do? He wanted to go back and become a drill sergeant. Mm-hmm. And I think those yeah. types of stories are amazing because that just shows how much you really are in it to influence others as opposed mm-hmm. to all about yourself and, yeah. you know, whatever. And you, you can still do that, but yeah. what are the right reasons you're there? And, and seeing those guys, it's, you know, they don't have to say the perfect thing to, to motivate you for the rest of your life. I, I call it like passive mentorship. You see a guy, yeah. you're like, I want to be like that guy. What does he have? Okay, I want to go get those things. So like that passive mentorship, like that that happens more often than people think it does. So yeah. presenting yourself in a professional way, wear your badges. You know, some people won't wear them. Like if you're in garrison environment, like, you know, show people something they, they can strive for, you know. Yeah, I don't want to sound too pompous about it, but like, no, I, I mean, I, I think it's great. I think you earned it and you're yeah. doing it for the right reasons. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's what's important out of it. it. You know, showing a little humility, but also, you know, and maybe walking up to that guy standing at parade rest and, you know, thanking him for joining the service mm-hmm. and, you know, hey, great job and passing what you did and looking, you know, I'm, I'm proud of you and look forward to a great career on, you know, some whatever those like you said, that instant, that mm-hmm. whether you walk by or you actually came and approached the individual could make such a major impact on mm-hmm. a person's life. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't matter where you're, uh, what level you're at, you know, in that regard. So after 82nd, where'd you end up going? So after, so while I was in the 82nd, uh, my dad ended up getting sick. Uh, he's okay now. 
you know, fast awesome. forward, he's, he's good. He's healthy. He's cured actually. Um, but he got really sick. He was going through chemo and I'm from Buffalo. So I knew that there was a duty station in Fort Drum, New York, there was mm. 10th mountain and it was a highly deployed unit, um, had a lot of history behind it and, uh, it was close to home. So if I ever did get that phone call that, you know, you need to come home and say goodbye to your father, whatever it was, or come home, help bury your father, whatever that w- call was going to be. I'd rather it have been, you know, three hours away so I could get there quicker than, than North Carolina, you know? So I reenlisted, went to Fort Drum. Uh, A lot of people in the 82nd were a little upset with me. I was reenlisting to go leg, knowing I was going leg. So there's, there's some people who gave me a lot of crap about that, but I, you know, I did it for me. And to be honest, like a lot of the Kool-Aid I had, I'd been drinking, you know, as delicious as it was, it, one of the things was, you know, you're better than everybody. You are mm-hmm. better than it. You know, if you're in the 82nd, you're like, this is the unit. Right. And, uh, so I went to 10th mountain thinking I was going to be a few steps ahead of people, you know, and man, was I wrong. Mm-hmm. I went to really? this unit where everybody had combat experience. Everybody had just got back from, I mean, it was somewhere in Afghanistan. I can't remember Maybe Panjaway? I think it was Panjaway. That sounds right. Well, yeah. I don't, it, was a, it was a it was two eight seven tenth mountain. Yeah. Um, but they, they that sounds about right. They were they were in like the mouth of the Tangy for a lot of it, and so like they, I had gone there thinking I was going to be ahead of everybody, and I had so much to learn. They take their battle drills extremely seriously, a lot of combat experience down to the private level, and uh, I had a lot to learn. So I was really happy I went to that organization. I, I learned a ton. I deployed a few times with them. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm a, I'm a better leader from being there, too, you know. Yeah. I mean, that kind of, to me, fits like the Abrams Charter where, you know, you've got people that are in range and regiment that's supposed to leave there to yeah. go to the conventional <laughs> army because that's the whole idea is you get a chance not only for them to learn from you, but you to get a chance to experience something new. And it's, it's, even though you weren't part of it, that's essentially the same thing you did from the 82nd. Yeah. And you got a chance to see from the conventional army perspective that not all units are created equal mm-hmm. in the conventional army, mm-hmm. even, you know, so there are some out there that are hard charging units, doing great things with amazing NCOs that are probably doing it with much less mm-hmm. than where you came from. Yep. Yep. And, and their capabilities too, what they bring to the fight, just being proud yeah. of what you bring. I know a lot of tankers, I mean, they're, they are proud of what they bring to the fight and they bring something amazing. You know? See, oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm a tanker, by the way, Dan, that's yeah. my, I don't get enough credit around this guy, but that's all right. I gotta give you a hard time about something, man. Um, so, uh, were you already, you know, Ranger tabbed or anything at this point? Did you go to Ranger score or where did that kind of fit in? So when I was in 10th mountain, uh, I was there for a little while. Um, and then on a deployment, I reenlisted to go to Italy and on my way, on my way back, um, back from deployment, back to 10th mountain, getting ready to PCS. Uh, I had a really good SAR major, SAR major Gilmer, um, really good SAR major to talk to me about some things and, and made me realize, um, if I want opportunities, it's going to be easier to get opportunities in 10th mountain being CONUS as opposed to Italy, you know, being O-CONUS. Um, it's a lot harder for them to go to schools just because of the TDY and the money yep. it costs and, and, and the move and moving of the personnel, it, it costs a lot of money. So, um, we talked about opportunity and that's what I wanted. I just wanted opportunities. And, uh, so made him a deal. You know, I wanted to stay, but I wanted to, I just wanted to be fed. I was hungry, you know, so he got me ranger school. He got me aerosol, um, you know, and those are, you know, ranger school is a difficult, difficult course. Aerosol, you know, for 10 days is difficult. It's short, but it's um, just having those opportunities in front of me. It really didn't matter what it was. I just wanted those opportunities. Oh, sure. Yeah. Oh, that's very cool that he was willing to do that. That obviously you know, spoke volumes about not just you because he had that much confidence in you and wanted you there, but to, um, you know, that in your, you, you were willing to stay there at 10th mountain mm-hmm. knowing and trusting in him and believing in him that mm-hmm. that was the right move in terms of your career choice, because, you know, everybody 
most people who may not know about 173rd has a reputation as well. I mean, mm-hmm. you'd have gone right from 82nd to 173rd, and that's typically kind of the yeah. you know the back and forth type of thing. So mm-hmm. that was getting back kind of in 82nd, but in a different location type mm-hmm. of uh, atmosphere. And in the fact that he set you down and said, "Hey, there there are other things." And from a career tracking standpoint, mm-hmm. let's talk about it. It's a conversation about what do you want. Right. And the conversation wasn't about the team or the organization. Like he sat me down and said, what do you want? And it was one of the first Mm -hmm. direct counselings that had to do with me and not my readiness numbers, not my guys, not, not my counseling packets for my guys. It was a conversation of, you know, what do you want? And, you know, the, the foundation of what I wanted was opportunity. And so he said that I, I think it would be wise for you to stay here and, I trusted him, you know, I still trust him to this day. And uh, yeah, I stayed there and it was, I was really happy I did. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So when you came down here all the way through? I went straight through. Yeah. I was really lucky. Nice. Um, I don't, it, it wasn't me. I made plenty of mistakes in Ranger School. Um, I, it, I attribute it to my squad. My squad got me my Ranger tab 100%. So they were, um, by the time we got to Florida, even the RIs called us like the golden squad because, you know, everybody was working together. Everybody's working for each other. And, and we had, when we got through Darby, we had, I don't want to say trim the fat, but like the guys that weren't really value added, you know, they kind of left and the ones that kept going towards mountains, like they kind of got like peered out or whatever, or, or SOR themselves out or something like that. And then by the time we got to Florida, the squad was just like this refined, well or well oiled machine, and uh, we all went out there. And I, to me, <laughs> me then remembering remembering what it was is like, hey, you know, we crushed it. But as far as you know, being on this side of the fence as an RI, crushing it is much different. <laughs> you know, yeah, when you, when you see it as an RI <laughs> than when you live it, crushing it are two different things. But yeah, yeah I felt like we crushed it. We yeah. uh, everybody in my squad that went into Florida came out of Florida. We all graduated wow. together. So, so now you, this time frame, you had to be like about twenty eight years old, maybe twenty six to twenty eight. Uh, it was two thousand fifteen. I'm thirty two now. Pathfinder. That's seven. <laughs> Carry the one. Uh, all uh, my Pathfinders on a calculator. That's, that's, yeah, you'd have been 25. 25, yes. yeah, 24, 25, right around there. Right, yeah. 2015, you said, right? Mm-hmm. That's yeah. seven years ago. Mm-hmm. 30? 32. Oh, 32, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, so 25 years, but, but still that's a little bit more mature is what I was going to say. So it was the rest of the squad about the same age. And do you think that might've been something that contributed to it? Because you get the younger guys that maybe they're not always in it the right way. I know I wasn't. It was a conglomerate. So uh, my squad was made up of a bunch of different guys from different backgrounds. So I had my Ranger buddy. um, uh, He's, uh, he might be a mess sergeant now. But Sergeant First Class Branch, he was my, he's in the 82nd now. He was my Ranger buddy. We went through everything together. Um, same rank. We were both staff sergeants at the time. Um, then we had some young, uh, some young Green Berets that had, you know, finished the Q course or were getting ready to finish the Q course. And they had somehow worked Ranger School into their pipeline, into hmm. their Q course pipeline. Uh, we had Eye Bullet guys and then some regiment, some young regiment kids, uh, uh, I can't remember two of their names, but I remember they inserted in Florida with us. And I mean, they were awesome. They were value added to the team. So it was really good. Wow. Mm-hmm. That does sound like a good team. Mm-hmm. That sounds like a really good team. Yeah, it was, it was a mix. It was a big mix, you yeah. know. <clears throat> well, yeah. that's, that's one of the cool things I think about coming here and just talking about, you know, Ranger School is that you're coming from pe- with people from all walks of life mm-hmm. that are coming to the same location and really having to work as a team. But that's where that peer kind of stuff goes into play, you know, about um, making sure that you can work together as a team, mm-hmm. that you think about one another and you look at your strengths and weaknesses, but you don't always knock the other person down for the mm-hmm. weakness. And, you know, understanding that type of relationship, I know I don't know that I could have said I understood that at 19, 20 years mm-hmm. old. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, it's much older before you start gaining that kind of wisdom about teamwork and and how group dynamics and all those types of things how do i bring how do i bring value to the team you know and and finding kind of your niche and and what that is you know how do they see you bringing value to the team yeah not just yeah how you think you bring value yeah yeah 
Uh, totally. So at this time frame, you got all these great schools and everything else. How many deployments had you been on at that time frame prior to going to the Ranger School? Prior to going to Ranger School, I think I was at two, three. I think I was at three. Okay. Yeah, I was at three. Wow. Two of them with uh, 10th Mountain? Uh, two with the 82nd, oh, okay. one with 10th Mountain. And then after Ranger School, I did another one Another one uh, with 10th Mountain. And then I PCS from there uh, over to Germany. I, I really wanted the European experience. So. Mm-hmm. Nice. I figured I had gotten the the opportunities I was looking for um, by staying, and so when it was my time to go, you know, I kind of knew it was my time. And Europe was one of those things I always wanted to experience. So uh, when I reenlisted, I reenlisted for Europe. You did the one seventy third Europe? No, I was actually I was in two CR. I was okay. striker. Yeah, I was striker in two CR. Wow. Yeah, and and that was really cool. That was a really cool experience because so it's a really high op tempo. You're constantly training. You're never we weren't de- like deploying anywhere, mm-hmm. but it was the interoperability piece. It was the working with NATO allies and working with other countries and, and trying to figure out how do we communicate, how do we fight together, um, how do we kind of balance, you know, bounce off of each other and, and make each other better. And it was great because th- there were plenty of times I'd go out to Finland or I'd go out to Romania or or something like that, and and I was a sergeant first class and I was the highest enlisted. The highest enlisted ranking guy there so it was me a captain and like it was us we were making the decision so it was it was really cool being like a representative of the army at such a you know young young age and young grade you know it was really rewarding for me how many times did you get a chance to work with other forces like you did in that unit then? Because prior to that, did you get a chance to work with other services from other uh, countries? On deployment, I did. You did yeah, yeah. I, I think I did like one foreign jump with like Canadians. Um, nice. But uh, I mean, we all spoke English and it was really easy to, <laughs> yeah. you know, it's 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 a really, really easy to work with them. But um, in Afghanistan, worked with uh, Germans, Romanians. Um, wow. <clears throat> Uh, I can't remember if we worked with the Poles. I don't think we did, but Germans and Romanians primarily, yeah. And and then obviously the ANA and the Iraqi Army too, with like working with them uh, and that like language barrier and things like that. But being in Europe, it was just you know it was really cool, you know, representing your country, you know. Yeah. So it was it was awesome. I I really enjoyed it. Met some cool people. So, How long were you there? Three years? I was there for three years. Yep. I was there for three years. And I mean, I've seen even, even, so it's actually funny. My wife and I got married right before we went and, um, we had saved all, she had a good job and, uh, we had saved all this money and we were going to get married. We were getting married. And I told her, you know, we can have the wedding of your dreams. We can, I, I won't say no to anything, the dress, the the venue, like I won't say no to anything. Um, I'll give you, you know, whatever wedding you look, you thought of, you know, when you were a kid, or we can save all that money. We can do a quick marriage. We can take all that money to Europe because I was already on orders and every four day we can, you know, go on a honeymoon somewhere in Europe. And that's what we did. Oh, that's That's awesome. (laughs) That's a slick move. I like it. So, I mean, we, I I don't want to say we blew a lot of money, but we spent a lot. We saw the world is what I'll say. You know, we had the money, we had the money saved up. So we saw a lot of cool things during my three years there. Yeah. You watched a lot of game shows early on because would you like the door number one, (laughs) you know, or door number two? Yeah. Which one would you like to that was awesome. But it's so you. smart. Yeah. It's so smart. I see I see these young people and they're they're spending tens of thousands of dollars on weddings. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh like, dude, that's half your down payment for a house and it's mm-hmm. not getting cheaper. How, or, how about mm-hmm. getting close to a hundred thousand? I mean, my daughter is a wedding planner and everything. Yeah. And then when you see weddings where the, the flower arrangements are, you know, like two hundred grand. It's Jeez. what? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Seriously, it's crazy. I, yeah. I get that some people want to do that, but it's so so irresponsible. It's like your private going out and buying some gigantic ring for yeah. the yeah the ranger he's gonna marry. You're like, dude, <laughs> buy his zirconia, man. Like, she, <laughs> you yeah. better in a dive bar. She's not gonna know the difference. Wait till you go to Afghanistan. You'll find you'll, mm, someone yeah. will sell you a ring there or something. I had, like I had a buddy. He went and he bought. <clears throat> he, he was buying rubies and he was pretty good at it. He was he was doing okay. His first deployment, he comes back and this guy had had ripped him off. And sold him a bunch of fake stones. There were mm-hmm. rubies and stuff, and he'd sold him this one yellow diamond. So, and he figured this out because he took him in mm-hmm. and had him looked at when he got to the states. And then the lady's like, oh, "None of these are good, but you got one good one. Come, why don't you come in?" And he comes in, and he's got like a this thing was like a 
three or four carat giant. <laughs> I mean, this thing was giant. He was sure it was fake, but the guy like gave him a really good deal. Like he basically paid a couple hundred bucks for it. Mm -hmm. And he's like, well, whatever, I'm spending the money. Mm -hmm. And sure enough, it was like a $40,000 diamond. He just, he got for a couple hundred bucks and his wife at the time was like, oh, great. You can buy me a ring and pay for a wedding. And he's like, or I can pay off our vehicles and put $10,000, $20,000 in the bank. You yeah. know? And, and that marriage didn't work out, you know, but he, he kept the diamond. So I guess yeah. that's. Your, your that's weddings okay. worked out just fine. Uh, yeah. Your marriage. Okay. Good. Uh, so where'd you end up going? Travel. Uh, so we, we went, we started off, we, we did Austria, we did Venice. Um, we went to, uh, she met me in Poland. I was training in Poland. She came cool. up there for a week and uh, we went around Poland for a little while. We went to France. We went to, my son's first steps were in the heart of Budapest. Like, oh, that's yeah. awesome. So his first steps were, we were in like this, it was an Airbnb, but it was like a, it was like a Jason Bourne looking like little hostel in the, in the middle of, in the middle of the city, you know, kind of tucked away. And uh, so his first steps were there. We went to uh, Slovenia. If you've ever been to Lake Bled, it's a beautiful place. Um, Lake Blood? Bled. Bled. B-L-E-D. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, Lake Bled. Um, that was a great place. Uh, Innsbruck. Um, I said Austria. And Did then, you have a favorite? I think I think Budapest was my yeah. favorite. As I was gonna say, that's got to be one of your favorite. Yeah, I'm memories. tied to my son's first steps for sure. Um, Venice is a close second. When we went to Venice, uh, it was me and my wife and my, my son, he was in one of those like little kid backpacks, you know, yeah. those little kid rucksacks. And I mean, that thing has seen some miles all over the world. So we got our money's worth for that. Um, but we went to Venice and my wife was taking pictures with her phone and we had my dog there too. I have mm -hmm. a German shepherd and he was trying to jump into into the canal and he's, he's a German, he's a water dog, yeah. you know, he, he does dock diving and stuff like he's a water dog. Um, but anyways, he tried to jump in and my wife trying to, tried to like save his life, yeah. not remembering he can swim just fine. Um, <laughs> she tried to stop him from jumping over this ledge into the, into the canal. And there went her phone into oh, the no. depths of the canal. Yeah. So it's oh, gone forever. Yeah. So there's, you know, there's an iPhone somewhere at the bottom of the canal. <laughs> in Venice. She, she the was dead one. serious too. She was, there was a lot of pictures on there and I don't think we, fully understood how iCloud works, you know? Yeah. So we thought those pictures were gone. They're not, you know, they were all on iCloud, but uh, she thought it was, you know, she thought all those pictures were gone and a lot of them were some like life moments with the kids yeah. and stuff. So she, she was dead serious. She's like, you need to go in there. You need to go find that phone. <laughs> so I was like, hold on one I'm second. I saw this Italian guy in a boat and I was like, Hey, you know, how deep is it? And he had no idea what I was saying. And I was like, you know, agua, like, He's like, oh, 15 meter. And I was like, Whoa. okay. I was like, Jillian, I ain't going down. Yeah. <laughs> it's gone. It's gone forever. That's a, that's a deep free dive. If you're yeah. Not, not yeah. conditioned for it. Yeah. And like some murky canal. Yeah. Like, I was going to yeah. say that's, yeah, that's got to be some rough water. Yeah. Because it floods into the city, it you does. know? Yeah. So who knows what, yeah. you know, kind of nasty water is all around there. I don't there. think you want to drink it or swim in it. Yeah. I, we had a really cool experience, except uh, the, a lot of times Italy's on strikes for mm -hmm. different reasons and such. And so in this case, we happened to go to Venice and they were on a garbage strike. So mm -hmm. not a really good time to be in Venice when yeah. they're because garbage was piled up yeah. everywhere and it yeah. was beautiful, but then it was just that, you know, yeah, yeah the smell and everything else mm -hmm. didn't make it. We actually went down through, um, uh, somebody told us when we first walked in, they said, don't, don't go to uh, straight to St. Mark square. Instead, pick a color that's on the wall and follow the color. Okay. And really? you know, yeah, we started following, we didn't know where it was taking us, but they said it would end up, you know, at St. Mark square. They all do, but we ended up seeing the backside of Venice where, you know, they have these nice little cool shops. They got restaurants. Mm -hmm. It's like a hole in the wall, the size of a closet mm -hmm. with amazing food oh, for yeah. hardly nothing. Yeah. And you pay for that same thing out there on the main drag that yeah. goes between you know, the front and, you know, St. Mark square. And you're going to pay 10 times as much, you, you tourist know, prices, right? Yeah. Cause that's tourism and this is local. And that's kind of why they told us to do it, get off the beating path and then come back from, you know, mm -hmm. St. Mark's through the main uh, yeah. area and stuff. So, 
Um, yeah, so you you know when you travel, you just got to get out and yeah. be like the natives. Did you go to any of the islands outside of Venice? We did not. Did you yeah. do that? Yeah, we did. We we went to the one that's like known for their glass and everything. Glass blowing. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, we went there. I can't. It starts with a B. I can't off the top of my head remember what it, the island was called. But um, I had gone. I it was my parents' first time like ever out of the United States, minus like Canada. Mm-hmm. Um, but we took them to Venice, took them to Austria, but in Venice, yeah, we went to, we, we went off the beaten path, went to the islands. I mean, my mom loved it. She, she got a bunch of stuff and, and that's where you can find like the legit, um, what are those like little Mardi Gras masks? Looking oh like? yeah. Did yeah. Though they have oh, them the big time there, masks? don't they? Yeah. yeah. So the ones in Venice, they're proper, ceramic. yeah, the ones mm-hmm. in Venice proper, they're not like. They're not like real. They're not like the legit ones. The mm-hmm. ones out on the islands, those are the ones that they make their, uh, I think it's Borello or Borelli. Yeah. Borello. You see them a lot in uh, yeah. Mardi Gras, stuff like that. People yeah. wearing them. Same type of concept. Yeah, basically. but those are where the legit ones are uh, yeah. on those islands out there. Yeah. I was just watching a special that uh, Venice popped up and it kind of brought back some memories, but I had no idea that starting in, I don't know what century it was, but a long time ago, there was actually... Um, a ruling that every year they would go out and kill, I think it was geese or something like that, or, or ducks and stuff. And so I didn't realize that, like, right there's Venice, and not that far away, maybe a half a mile away or a third of a mile, is actually an area that's still reserved to this day where they let all the the ducks come in and, you know, mate and everything mm-hmm. else. And then one time of the year they go in there and they kill most of them and population yeah they feed the the masses i think it's a free duck you know or two ducks per family or whatever it was and they still i think they still do this had no idea any of that was going on wow yeah that's crazy well and how far is germany from italy it's like driving from what Southern Alabama to northern like Georgia? Five to seven hours yeah, somewhere at that yeah. time. Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm trying to think, too. We rode on a bus. How did you guys get there? We drove. Oh, okay. Yeah, we drove okay. ourselves, yeah. I read on one of those, um, it was one of those deals back in the day where they had like IATA, I think is what it was called, travel, that we're... You know, we were basically it was one of these things. If you didn't go on that with the first sergeant and his wife, mm-hmm. then you stuck back in the rear, then yeah. you're going to get all the duty, you yeah. know, that's oh, back yeah. there. So it was like every time those things came out, they were like a hundred bucks, 150 bucks for two people. It was like, Oh, put me on it, you know? And I didn't care, but it also meant that you rode like eight, 12 hours Mm -hmm. on a bus, Mm -hmm. you know? And it wasn't the nice bus that has the bathroom and everything (laughs) else. You you got to wait till the driver decides to stop and you know, the whole thing and a little different experience. But, but the the point is like, you know, you get these guys and they're like, Oh, I got to go to Europe. Mm -hmm. It's going to suck. I'm so far away. And I'm like, dude, you're, like if you drive, if you drive from like New York to Southern Alabama, mm-hmm. that's the same distance as like Paris to Kiev. Yeah. You know? So it's not like, like we're yeah. used to just, you jump in the car, you drive for a couple of days mm-hmm. and you're still in the United States, mm-hmm. but there you could, you could go from Paris to Slovenia or yeah. wherever you want to go. And and we were in Bavaria. So we were, okay. we were like, it was, it was kind of like farm country, like their definition of rural down mm-hmm. there. Um, but if you went in any direction, or even just a little bit of time, you'd find some quaint little towns. You'd find so you'd cool. find great views. You head south, you find the Alps real fast. It's like two hours away, three hours wow. away. And did uh, you get to ski in the Alps? Yeah, I actually did. I went snow. So I was a snowboarder like okay. my whole life uh, prior to the military. And uh, uh, one of my buddies called me up. He's like, "Hey, we're going to go to Solden, which is like a big yeah. resort in the Austrian Alps." And uh, he's like, "You know, do you want to come with?" And I you know, got the okay from my wife. Nice. And yeah, I went out there. It was like very memorable. Was, I remember we got to the top of the ski lift and you could either go down and the, the routes are marked. You know, there's like the, the orange, like guiding, mm-hmm. uh, like fence line and everything. Like, you know, the places you can go, the places you can't. And then if you, if instead of making that button hook and going down the hill, if you looked off up to the right a little bit, you'd see another ski lift and it like went into Narnia, like went yeah. into the clouds up the mountain. And <laughs> so, you get, cool. so you get on that one and then you get all the way to the top. And at the top, like nothing's marked. If, if you're up there and you don't know what you're doing, you're probably going to die. Wow. Yeah. But That's I, awesome. I remember I was snowboarding down from there and I was, I was snowboarding now. I was like so captivated with the view. I was just, I was like, man, it's like a National Geographic movie. 
And I was so captivated with the view, I wasn't paying attention to like where I was going. By the time I looked down, my toes were over the edge of like what? a straight rock cliff. No, I was like, joke. oh my god, no way! <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah, and then you know, turned back in and had a great time. But yeah, it was awesome. It was Man. memorable. Yeah, that's freaking cool. Oktoberfest? Did you get a chance to do that? In yeah, Russia? we did Oktoberfest. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Bless, bless their hearts. Those those women, those little German women that work October. Have yeah. you been to Oktoberfest? No, no, I because I was stationed over there, and mm-hmm. you know our mission set and everything. We never got a chance to go down there. Guys would go down instead and get like beer and then bring it back yeah. and put it in the coolers and and then we that was my Oktoberfest. Yeah. We you know drink out of garbage cans yeah. you know with ice and everything. But so I never got a chance to go down there. But people said it's really touristy. It's so it's touristy, and then you go into the you go into the beer gardens and everything. And I say bless their hearts because. A lot of times it's these, you know, these little skinny German women or Italian women that are working it. And you have to deal with, you know, the drunk people from all over the world. And that, that's one thing. But the other thing is, have you seen the, the, the mugs? Steins? Yeah, they're like they're thick, thick they're, right? Each one full is, it's got to be five pounds. And they'll just pass one arm through four of them and pass another arm through the handle of four more. And they'll pick up, like, it looks like 40 to 50 pounds of beer Wow. And take it to your table and set it down, just to set it down, turn around and go do it all over again for you know a week straight. Now, and they don't get tips in Germany. <laughs> they they're don't, just yeah. doing it because that's yeah. the right way to do the job. Yeah, <laughs> no, they're not trying to get a tip. How, yeah. how and and the the steins are pretty big, right? They are. They're huge. Yeah, and they're thick. Yeah, it's like three and a half, maybe four beers per stein. That's no way. Like, like our can of beer, it's like three or four of those. Well, yeah. it's, Germany's where That's it awesome. ruined me against, uh, you know, like from beer drinking and everything. When I got stationed over there mm-hmm. and, you know, you have a beer and then you come back to America mm-hmm. and it's not even the same. It's not, yeah. It, it's it's a better now. There's more equivalent now. But back then, you know, when you, it was Miller and Coors and yeah, you know, they, PBR and... They have like laws on <laughs> on what exactly they put in the beer yeah. and, and how cool. the beer's made, how many ingredients they're allowed to have in their I beer. I didn't know that. So their wow. beers like they have many different kinds of beers, you know, yeah. your lights, your darks, your all the different kinds of beers, but there's very little ingredients. So, you know, it's it's it tastes like a cleaner beer. It really does. Mm-hmm. It tastes a lot cleaner than, you know, a lot of a lot of the uh, craft beer you're going to drink from different places. It just has so many flavors getting thrown at you in a can. It's it's kind of hard to pinpoint exactly what you're looking for. Well, people get yeah. uh, try to get all unique with it and everything. Uh, I have the brew beer um, mm-hmm. uh, is another hobby um, mm-hmm. outside of podcasting. But um, people try to get so creative in the fact of the matter is just make good beer, yeah. you know, yeah. and it starts yeah. with good water. Yeah. And then from there, it's just yeast and, mm-hmm. you know, and hops and stuff. So it, there's, there's not a whole lot of rocket science behind it, but people, like you said, they just get so creative to the mm-hmm. point where the beer just does not taste good. Yeah. You know, it's not the work of art. Work of art is like, you know, when you're watching cooking and you can make soup. If you yeah. can make soup, yeah. you're a really good cook. Yeah. You know, it's so kind really? of the same. Yeah, that's what they say. Oh. Because soup is so hard to make. So like a really creative, you know, Mm -hmm. I don't know how the hell we got on this whole subject, but I'm glad that you enjoyed Europe. Uh, You know, we're like really getting out of here. So here's a a question for the listeners. Is beer soup or is it oatmeal? No. It's uh, is it beer soup or is it cereal? It's like liquid bread. You can yeah, actually, it it's very close to that. You're <laughs> absolutely right. You know, the the funny thing is, I work in the life sciences space, and so one of the ways I earn some street cred there is um, they go, well, you know, have you ever made beer? And I go, actually, I have. And they go, oh, well, then you understand it. Then you know, oh. you're trying to draw, uh, grow microbes, or you're trying to grow mm-hmm. a virus. You know, it's a lot like you understand beer making. There's a lot that goes oh. into the same, yeah. you know, same piece of it. So. Makes sense. Um, the Europe whole experience, I 100% agree. And I feel like um, at one time frame, you know, the military, we had a lot of bases over there and a mm-hmm. lot of opportunity. And so um, when, when your, you know, former Sergeant Major was talking to you and counseling to you about don't go now, you know, get do some things, mm-hmm. you know, based on what you were saying, it wasn't anything about Oconus is just not going to help you in your career. It no. was more of what you wanted to do at that time frame. Yeah. It's not lining up. Yeah, it's what's what do you believe is best for you right now? And yeah. what do you want at this point in your career that you haven't gotten yet? And that was opportunity, you know. And, you know, Italy, he had nothing but good things to say about Italy in the 173rd. He, yeah. I think he had been a part of that organization. But, you know, they, they come from, like, quite 
quite a background, you know, very, oh, yeah. very respectful background. They've done a lot. I think they have like more uh, Medal of Honor recipients than I think than any other unit. I, uh, I believe that's the case. Yeah. yeah. In fact, I know it is. Yeah. And so, so it, it wasn't like, don't go to 173rd. It was, you need to be, there's a point, he told me once, there's a point in your career where, and there's going to be a point in your life where like you have to be selfish. You can look out for everybody else. You can look out for your team, but until you're taking care of yourself, it can be pretty hard to take care of other people, especially if you get to such a certain low point. And what, what he told me was, you know, it's okay to be selfish sometimes. So like be selfish. What do you want? And that was, that was just more opportunities. Yeah. No, said, well, then I think you should stay. You know? That's a great mentor. Again, you know, kind of, kind of going back to that whole conversation, but there's a lot of stuff that we just talked about that, you know, can come good from an Oconus assignment. You get a chance to go to conventional forces. You get to go to a different country. You get to interact in different ways with communities outside of what you're mm-hmm. usually, you know, accustomed to in, in the U S and stuff, you know, and you know, different foods, different experiences in different countries nearby you can go and visit. And so many great benefits that you can get out of that. And then apply the whole thing here is to continue applying those skills mm-hmm. and those things to your craft mm-hmm. and what you bring back, especially as a non-commissioned officer yeah. or as an officer, you know? I, I think we, you know, there's two things that come to mind when you relay a conversation like that. We always do PT and we do PT because we want to Mm-hmm. Look good naked. Mm-hmm. Let's be honest. Yeah. Um, but the real reason you do it is so that you can carry your buddy, or yeah. you can carry your equipment to the fight, or what. But you don't do it for you. You know, you make yourself stronger mm-hmm. so that you can carry more weight. Mm-hmm. And I, I feel like the same. Your first arm was saying the same thing yeah. to you. He's yeah. like, you gotta be selfish. Get in the gym. Get in the classroom. Make yourself better. And then, like you said, mm-hmm. more value added to the team. Yep. So now you're going to be more taken care of. You're going to have more opportunities in the future, mm-hmm. but those people you care so much about that are relying on you, they can rely on you even more. You yeah. can provide them even more. You can better take care of them, especially yeah. with the experience too. You can speak from, you know, that experience. You can speak from what you learned mm-hmm. and, and you bring that to the team as well. Yeah. When you came back, is this where you got assigned immediately? Yep. Okay. Nice. Now, did you make first sergeant over there? Or did you? I make, made it here. You made it here. Yep. Yep. So you arrived as an E7, yep. uh, promotable at that point, or are you... Um, I think I had just gotten... Have you guys uh, seen the new way, like, the Army no, Promotion Systems no. work? So, <laughs> so before, you know, they'd say everybody who was going to get promoted, they drew a line in the sand and yep. said, everybody over this line is getting promoted this year. We don't know when, but it's getting. they're going to get promoted and this year. And it could year. be a year or two away for that time. It could be yeah, a while. Back yeah, then, yeah. yeah. And... Uh, the way they do it now, it's it's really like a talent management process where you, you get racked and stacked against everybody in your MOS at your rank. So you get a number that says you are number this of this many people, kind of like an NCOER wow. is, you know, you're number one of four, you're number two of four. It's like your number, you could be number one of, I think for mine it was like 2,400 something, you know. And so I, I had gotten a number that, a lot of people was like, yeah, you'll get promoted. You'll definitely get promoted, you know? And then we started going, and, and then the, what the army does is the army figures out how many we are going to promote by month and uh, essentially says, you know, we are going to promote three. So numbers one through three is getting promoted. As long as they're able and they're fully qualified, you know, they're going to get promoted. And, uh, you know, sometimes they'll skip over the guys not willing to reenlist or, or if they get flagged or for some reason, you know, something happens and they don't get promoted, they'll go straight to the next guy. Mm. And uh, so you're racked and stacked. And I had a pretty good number. Uh, guys told me I was going to get, you know, you're probably going to get promoted. And then there was just month after month of, you know, the Army's promoting zero 11 Zulus, mm, zero wow. 11 Zulus. And so I was like, all right, I'm not getting promoted. This ain't happening. Um, but I just kept doing what I was doing. I was in Charlie company here at fifth. Uh, I was a mountaineering instructor, uh, one of the team leaders there and, you know, just walking ranger students, mentoring ranger students, doing mountaineering stuff. And then eventually the number came up and, uh, I was, I was lucky. Uh, I had a SAR major that trusted in me. Uh, uh, he, he just retired recently, but he trusted in me and he, you know, he kind of had me aligned with the company pretty early on and told me what company it was going to be. So, uh, yeah, now I'm the ACO first sergeant, so I got promoted, went over to ACO, 
And uh, that's where I'm at now. Yeah. So they knew when you came in that you were in their promotable status. And so the, what they did is they tried to align it so that whenever it happened, they would have a place for mm-hmm. you in terms of succession. Yeah. So that's that's great. Yeah. You like know. a project, you know, he's yeah. going to project. Every good star major is going to project their gains and losses and kind of align, you know. And here, here it's the right guy, um, yeah. especially because there's so many, like, little nuances in Ranger School. You know, you have to be a first sergeant, but you also have to be the senior instructor. You have to know all the little things that happen in the shadows. Plus, you need to know your guys and, and their needs and, and their progression, make sure they're progressing as well and uh, that they're developing. And so there's a lot of, we call it like tribal knowledge, too, that you need to know. And so here, I think I think the best thing to do is kind of grow your own. Um, you know, come here, be a ranger instructor, go through the natural progression of being a ranger instructor and and then from there through that natural progression like usually about 18 months you can take a first arm gig here and and be pretty successful because you know all the the little things going on in the shadows how long are you allowed to stay in that type of role though do they it's a three-year duty assignment here okay um it it can be as low as 24 months but it's three years on average for everybody um, I'm coming up on three years, so I'm actually on my way out here very shortly. I'm heading to Hawaii here shortly. Um, 25th ID, yeah. you know where? And I'm going to be uh, 235 Cacti. Okay. Yeah, going to 3rd Brigade in Hawaii. I'm really excited for it. The family's excited for it. We've been watching Moana. <laughs> We've been watching Moana three times a day for the last two months, yeah, just doing research. <laughs> you know? uh, I just got back from uh, Hawaii, not being stationed there, but uh, vacation and stuff. And it's a beautiful place, but I know that my time frame, I got asked um, if I was ready to go to Hawaii and that my wife was in college at, mm-hmm. in earning her degree in nursing and stuff like that. And we didn't get a chance to go. And it's one of those places that I wish we would have, Yeah. but there seemed to be a split. There were a number of people that would go and they'd reenlist and mm-hmm. try to extend it if they could. Yeah. Or uh, there were a number of people that like, get me off this rock, yeah. you know? So have you ever visited there? I've so ne- you know what you're walking into? I've never visited there. I've heard of like the Island fever you're talking yeah, about. Yeah. Rock you know, fever, Island rock fever. fever yeah. yeah. And I, I've heard about that. Um, my family is, you know, I think gr- raising, raising my first boy, uh, in Europe, like really helped him out, like seeing new things and, and the, the value of that. Um, so when, when we figured out we were going to Hawaii, when I was on orders, I mean, Hawaii wasn't my number one, but as soon as I saw the email that said you're on orders for Hawaii, I was like, you know what, maybe Hawaii is my number one because yeah. it sounds pretty good to me. <laughs> um, and then, you know, told the family, told my son, I, I have another son now. We had a, a boy born while we were here. And uh, yeah, Congratulations. just watching a lot of Moana. Just <laughs> yeah. Doing that research, <laughs> getting ready for it. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. So they have like a uh, jungle course, I think over there, if I'm they not do, mistaken. Yeah. Yeah. You yeah. plan on going through that, you yeah, think? Absolutely, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's, nice. it's, part of the, it's part of the lineage. It there, really you is, know? Yeah. If, yeah. if you want to be a senior leader and practice what you preach, I, I feel like that's something, you know, I would hope that'd be something like during in processing, like, hey, give me the next one, you know. Right. Don't I don't want to be responsible for anybody until I have this thing that we're that we expect other people to start doing. You yeah. Know? No, lead by example. Yeah. So when uh, somebody's coming here, what's the best advice that you would give them? My best advice for someone coming here, as a ranger instructor yeah. or as a student? Uh, as a student first. As a student, as a student, I would say take a look at your take a look at what you're good at, you know, and, and know that you do bring value no matter what background you come from. Um, all the regiment kids, I, 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 they're very, they are aggressive. They are aggressive on the raid. They are aggressive on bounding. They are, you know, they're very quick to get their gun up. Um, and they're really good at a lot of skill level 10 tasks, you know, the, the clearing of the two forties and the, you know, two four nines and operating those things. They're good at that. And then, but they're not good at orders, you know, and that's Terrible. just the way it is. You know, they're not good at the uh, analysis process, you know, um, just because they're young, they don't know a ton of what they're analyzing. And and then the officers come in and they're a little less aggressive and they're a little less spun up on their skill level 10 tasks, but they're really good at planning. So I tell my ranger class uh, one of the first times I when I do meet them when they do in process is like know what you're good at and just start cross training now if you're an officer you need to get with the regiment kids and you need to start 
you know, asking the best way to clear these 240s, the best way to bound, to control bounds. And if you're an officer or if you're a regiment kid, you need to get with an officer and you need to start, you know, asking, you know, about analysis and about, you know, code development and things like that. So um, that's my best advice is like, know, know where you're strong at, know where you're weak at, and then, and then be prepared to, to eat some humble pie and ask for that help, you know, mm-hmm. especially with your squad. You know, there's nothing nobody's going to look less at you for not knowing something. It's, it's when you don't know it and you need to know it at that point. Like that's when people remember like, wow, you're not a guy I can rely on right now. Yeah. That's really good advice because uh, I think for both sides of that, it causes then again, the dynamics, the teamwork and everything else. Officers are forced to work with very junior enlisted soldiers, Mm -hmm. perhaps, you know, that are coming in specialist corporal or whatever that's coming from regiment Mm -hmm. that, and then, you know, you have this second Louie or captain, Mm -hmm. you know, that's prideful and, you know, has to, like you said, eat some humble pie. Mm -hmm. And the other side of that are these lower enlisted that, um, this is the first time really having to deal in some cases directly and interfacing with an officer. Mm -hmm. And, and it's that whole dynamic of Mm -hmm. break down the barriers. You guys are all equal, but you you need to shore up, like you said, and yeah. find out where you're weak so you can... What about as an RI? As an RI, so I've, I've told people, if you want to develop yourself, you need to come, uh, you need to, come to ARTB. You need to be... I, I, I'm biased towards 5th, but I think 5th RTB has a great uh, instructor training program. It, it's lengthy, you know, it's, and it's not easy. People recycle it. You know, RIs come here and recycle it, and... But by the time you're done, you're, you're very well developed. And that's just to get you in the door. That's just to get you to evaluate the squad leader. It's going to take you another nine months to, to learn all the things you need to learn to evaluate a platoon sergeant. And it's going to take you another bunch of months after that to evaluate the PL, you know, the top echelon evaluator, evaluator here. It takes time, and, but there's a reason for it. And it's so that when you do take that position, when you are coaching and teaching and mentoring, um, that you're 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 bringing a lot to that ranger student. Uh, I, I tell people that if I had come here before I was a platoon sergeant, I would have been a better platoon sergeant. And, and I'm really happy I got to come here before I was a first sergeant, you know, in the in force com, because I'm going to be a better first sergeant from, just from being here. Yeah. Um, and the development is unreal here. It's, it's a lot. You, you learn so much. One of the first things you'll do in the instructor uh, training program or RITEP, Ranger Instructor Training and Education Program, one of the first things you'll do, it's like, you're going to take this test on doctrine without receiving any type of, you know, without receiving any type of education on it. Just what you come to this organization already knowing. And that is a gut check because it's these questions and you're like, I should know all of this. And it is, I can't believe I, I don't, you know, wow. and it's a big gut check. And then, and then you learn all the things, you know, you, you, yeah. that you're being tested on. And, uh, and then and you, you come out of it, you know, able to speak up and down in echelon, you know, whatever language, whoever you're talking to, you come out of that, you come out of that course, like doing pretty well. And then just over the years, I mean, you're surrounded by uh, some of the best NCOs in the army and and you guys feed off each other. It's a type personalities. It's a bunch of guys that do want to get after it. And uh, you you build each other, you build the team and, and you grow as well in that process. So it's a great place to be. If I had to give advice, I'd just say eat some humble pie before you get here. You know, um, it's that way, you know, just open your mind, get ready to learn a lot. Yeah. yeah. I, I was going to ask you, so as the first sergeant, as a sergeant major, what advice would you give yourself if, because you just did it. You just yeah. talked about right there about, you know, why somebody would want to come here and the importance of that. And of course, what they're leaving with and, the, all the things that you mentioned, it's not about then the trinkets and stuff like that. It's that um, experience of being a leader in a different mm-hmm. level, challenging yourself in a different way, yeah. you know, gaining a new skill set, mm-hmm. um, you know, being a mentor, which mm-hmm. is maybe something you haven't had a chance to this point to really hone in on and yeah. a coach, you know, as well. And and uh, it's just a different dynamic that you're putting yourself up against. Oh, yeah. Challenging absolutely. yourself. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, um you said Hawaii's next and everything for you. Um, are you still looking at staying the full 20 or what's your plan? I, so there is no plan B, right? <laughs> I'm not good at anything else. Uh, honestly, um, uh, I'm, I've been taking a look at a couple different paths that I can take. In the end, it's the military. Um, I'm putting in, this is one of the first years I've seen them 
for the uh, green to gold, um, you know, the ability to go officer. It's one of the first years they're taking a lot of the, uh, the waivers. Um, they're accepting a lot of the waivers, like the federal service waiver, the age waiver. So I am uh, I'm gonna apply for that and see where that goes. Um, but regardless of whether that happens or doesn't happen, um, whether I get accepted, whether I don't, uh, it's, it's the military for at least 20, at least 20. Yeah, It's done a lot of good oh. for me, it helped me build my family and you know, it's something I can look back on and be proud of. You yeah. know. When you're clearly excelling at it. I mean, yeah. it's, I mean, I, like I said, if, if, if you just come in with the, you know, with an open mind and, you know, just ready to eat whatever, you know, yeah. ready to eat everything you can be fed, it's a good place to be, I think. It's funny, a first sergeant says that at 5th RTB, and yet he starves his men when he comes in. and <laughs> <laughs> They're starving yeah. for cheeseburgers yeah. and everything. Well, they're not, they're not technically his men, they're, they're students. <laughs> 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 They're human, technically. Uh, Well, I certainly appreciate you, Dan, coming on the show and talking about your background and everything else. And I think some of the words of wisdom that you've dropped here about people who either are thinking about joining the military and in a path and trying to decide how they want to maneuver and, you know, whether it's going the same path you did, you gave some advice about how to look at just the whole career. Mm -hmm. And I think as well for people who are already on active duty, you know, giving some insight in, into um, what people should consider and think about and how they're trying to not just look at the next assignment of being another lily pad to land mm-hmm. on, but what do you gain, What do you want to gain from that? What yeah. is it that you want to take away when you walk away? And how can you make yourself better, but also the people that you influence there uh, mm-hmm. better? And so great, great advice. And, you, it, know? It, you know, just knowing that, like, it, it requires work. You know, the, nobody's going to hand you anything. You got to earn, you got to earn your spot for this thing or that thing. And and then once you're there, you got to, it's time to, you know, put out for that, you know? So just knowing that like, it's, it's going to take work and it's going to take an open mind to, to be successful in just about all of it, you know? Yeah. Thanks again. I appreciate it. Thank yeah. you very much. You bet, man.